Hey, what's up, guys? I'm Austin. And I'm Alicia. And we are the Darrows. On this podcast, we discuss all things family and faith unfiltered. In this episode, we started a series about marriage. We answer the question, what is marriage, and discuss God's purposes for marriage. Welcome, 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 everybody. Thank you again for listening to this podcast. I wanted to start today off with the new thing that we're doing, which is talking about what we're drinking. So, Alicia, what are you drinking tonight? We are drinking Highland Park. Highland Park. Single malt scotch whiskey, aged for 12 years. Ayo, 12 years. We have not, I was going to make a joke about being married for 12 years, but we haven't been married for 12 <laughs> years, so it doesn't apply. Um, it's a great whiskey, guys. I mean, if, if you've never tried a single malt scotch, I think Highland Park 12 is a great starting whiskey. I, the reason is because it's, it's not cheap, right? But it's not expensive either. Not in the scotch world. For sure. Because you've got like, it's not a bourbon cheap. I mean, you spend 40 bucks on a bourbon and you've got a pretty good bourbon, right? Like a generally a really good bourbon actually for 40 bucks. Um, but with a the scotch, um, $40 is on the cheap end of where I would sit. I wouldn't go much cheaper than that because they start to get real tasteless. They just start to taste like alcohol, which... You might think, why don't you want it to taste like alcohol? It's literally alcohol. But the point being, Highland Park, it's got a bit of a smoky flavor to it. Not much, though. It's not like a Lagavulin or anything like that. But um, it's a great whiskey. That's all I can say. Just try it out. Taste it. Let us know what you think about it. Um, but go ahead and pour yourself a drink, and uh, let's get into the conversation. So if you are dating, engaged, married, or just thinking about being in a relationship you probably have asked, what is marriage really? Or what's the purpose of marriage? Hopefully, as we discuss this, you'll receive some clarity and answers to those questions. First of all, we want to say that we believe God designed marriage. And since he designed it, it is important for us to understand how God defines it and what he intended the purpose for marriage to be. Based on the analysis of scripture, GotQuestions.org defines marriage as the covenantal union of one man and one woman for life. The first point we want to make is marriage is made to be between a man and a woman. Genesis 2.24 says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Here, the Hebrew word for wife, isha, is unmistakably female. It translates to woman, wife, female, and the Hebrew word for man, ish, which is spelled I-S, translates to man, male, which is in contrast to woman or female and and also stands for uh, husband. This fundamental truth about marriage helps define for us not only God's ideal relationship for his people, but also represents Christ's relationship to the church. Without this fundamental truth about man and woman being the core of the marriage bond, we lose so much of the story of Christ and his people. Yeah, I totally agree that this is a fundamental truth. It's really important to know that marriage is meant to be between a man and a woman because this is only how marriage can fulfill its intended purposes, as we will discuss later. The second point we want to make is that marriage is for life. The word cleave in Genesis 2.24 which Austin just read, is the Hebrew word devok, which means to cling, to stick, 
to join to. And the phrase, they shall be one, means just that. They're no longer two, but now they are one. Once something is joined together, or in this case, two people joined together in union of marriage, it should not be separated. God hates divorce. And you may have heard that before. Marriage is a covenant, which means an unbreakable promise. It represents the covenant between Jesus and the church. And we'll go into a little bit more detail of how that is represented a little bit later. But Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 9. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. With this being said, take marriage seriously. Realize that it's meant to be a lifelong commitment. So no matter how hard it gets, you should stay committed. Austin and I have personally decided that divorce is never an option. Our family and God's purpose on our life and our family's life is too important to just give up and to give into divorce. I would say commit to praying together and for each other. When things get hard, focus on seeking God and seeking godly counsel. If you're engaged and you're having second thoughts, please discuss this before you continue on. Discuss the issues that you're having before you decide to get married. Marriage is serious, and it's not something you just do because you have butterflies when you're around that person, or you feel pressured to marry someone. Absolutely. I I mean, I think you said it really well, but I, I think just just really focusing on that, it can be one, it can be the hardest thing to do to split off an engagement. Um, I can't even imagine having to do that. Like, 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 I mean, these are things I had to think about, right? Like when we got engaged, these are conflicts I had in my brain. I was like, man, like this is forever. Like I got to be serious about this. Like um, I can't imagine having to have done that, but it would be far greater, far greater to do that and move forward knowing that you made the choice best for you, your family, and that person's family, that, you know, that significant other's family, than to be in marriage that you're not only unhappy in, but put yourself at risk of potential divorce down the road. Um, the third point is marriage is meant to be monogamous. Now, monogamous is meaning uh, one man, one woman, or, or one person. It's 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 a one it's one and one monogamous. I think I'm saying that pretty well. Yeah, um, definitely. But. Um, this is, of course, meaning that it's it's one man and one woman in, in polygamy, which is multiple people uh, outside of you know two people. There, there's more than more than two in the relationship. Um, 
is not blessed by God. Um, and we can see this in scripture. Going back to Genesis 2, 25, man and wife here are both in their singular form. Uh, Matthew 19, 6 says, six in, in, in verse 6, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Meaning that they were once two people, one man and one woman, like I said, and they came together as one, not four or five people come together, one and one, two people together to come to become one. Uh, in Deuteronomy seventeen seventeen, God gives this instruction to the kings, and he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest he, or lest his heart turn away. You may say, but many Old Testament men, many of them, had multiple wives, right? While this is true. When you look at those accounts, you can see how much turmoil and frustration was caused when this happened. With, with Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar, for example, jealousy overtook their relationship. Um, you'd look at Rachel and Leah, fought, uh, who they were fighting over Jacob's affection. You look at King Solomon, who turned from the Lord because of his wife's idolatry. I will link, uh, we will link an article from gotquestions.org in the show notes um, that will go over a, few, a, a bit more detail on these accounts in our um, in the show notes. So definitely go check that out. Um, it's doc, it's got questions.org. Um, just kind of a plug to them. I and mean, we, we talk about them a lot and we will be talking about them a lot because they give so much great resources. And as far as I have seen what I've read from them, they're biblically sound. They've got very strong convictions on their own as far as like what they will speak about and all of it comes from scripture and that's how i can tell you that they're biblically sound because they pull directly from scripture about what they're answering so go check them out they've got really anything you could think of as far as questions are concerned but i digress Uh, it is important to remember that when looking at topics in scripture um, and this is really important especially something like polygamy just because you see it in scripture happening just because people in scripture, um, even among God's people, that does not mean that God is okay with it. It's very clearly laid out in scripture. God's vision for marriage throughout the um, the whole Bible about, you know, how, you know, husband and wife are supposed to treat each other um, and how that relationship dynamic works. I mean, it, it's pretty clear. Um, it obviously says it in some scriptures directly mm-hmm. that it is one man, one woman, uh, one wife, one husband. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's just, it's important that you, you take, keep that in mind. Yeah, definitely. There's so many people in the Bible that were sinful and often did the opposite of what God commanded them to do. And like Austin briefly mentioned, King Solomon was a perfect example of this. He clearly broke the commandment laid out in Deuteronomy 17, 17, which Austin mentioned about how kings should only marry one wife. And King Solomon broke that command by having multiple wives and concubines, and he recognized his folly. And he did mention this in Ecclesiastes. I suggest you going to Ecclesiastes and reading about it. And he comes back to God and repents of those sins because he recognizes that that was not beneficial for him at all. And it caused folly in his life. It caused um, him to recognize that it was just not helpful at all. So again, I just want to mention again that the definition of marriage that we're using today is the covenantal union of one man and one woman 
for life. Now I wanted to discuss some of those intended purposes of marriage that God has laid out in scripture. And the first couple that I want to talk about that's defined in Genesis are for procreation and companionship. So Genesis 1:28 starts with, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now God is all powerful as we know, and he can do anything. So he could have just created multiple men and women and put them all over the earth, but instead he created Adam and Eve and blessed them through marriage and commanded them to have children to fill the earth. Malachi 2 speaks of how God hates divorce and how Judah profaned the covenant by divorcing. But verse 15 specifically mentions a purpose of marriage, which was to produce godly offspring. So Malachi 2.15 says, Did he not make them one? with a portion of the spirit in their union? And was that one God, sorry, and what was that one God seeking? Godly offspring. So it is clear the procreation of godly offspring is a purpose of marriage. God wanted the earth to be filled with people who knew and loved him. Genesis 2.18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So this verse is talking about how God created marriage for companionship. God knew that Adam needed someone by his side to help him complete the mission God had for him. People were not completed to be, sorry, people were not created to be alone. And marriage is one way to have everlasting companionship. Yeah. And and this is part of what makes marriage so beautiful. Being in a companionship with one person who you get to spend the rest of your life with um, that's just, it's amazing. And, and speaking from experience, I mean, that's where we're coming from. Like we're, we're coming from this, from a biblical perspective, because we think it's important that you understand where we get our ideas, especially like, let's be honest, like the two of us, we've been married for a year and three months now. Um, and I don't say that to discredit us, but I say that to, to let you like, because people will want to discredit, especially like if you're listening out there and you're young in marriage, Uh, I mean, people are going to want to discredit like, oh, what do you know? Right. But what I know is what scripture tells me. Right. And this is, and this is what I base my marriage off of. Yeah. How I am as a husband, how you are as a wife, how we are as parents with our, with our newborn. Like we go to scripture for these things because that's, that's our, that's our guide to all of this. And, And it's very laid out. And, but my point is, is that with the companionship aspect, it's like, being married, I, I, I just, I've been in relationships. I've, I've, I've been down that road dating. I've dated a few people in my, in my time. And, um, there's something about when, when God brings one man and one woman together in marriage and the, what happens when that, when that takes place is it's really hard to explain in words. Um, yeah. and it, 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 it there's this kind of love that, um, I don't think it can be explained. I think it's something that you won't understand. And like we said, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's, and it's, it's God designed. It's one of the most, one of the most like quintessential things about scripture and, and about the story of Christ. Um, and so, yeah, I just, it's good. Yeah. And before we got married, we were very close friends for a while. And honestly, I didn't think marriage would change our friendship that much. Like, I guess I just expected us to now we're together and we can just continue being friends. (laughs) Yeah. But really being married has made that companionship so much deeper. Absolutely. 
um, I know that I can trust you with everything. And as a friend, I knew I could trust you, but I pro- I wouldn't have given you everything at that point because that's really inappropriate anyways. But being yeah, together course. in marriage has definitely deepened our companionship to a point where I know I have someone that I can trust forever and lean on. And I feel like that's something that people need. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and the awesome thing about it is that that's what God meant it for. Like these aren't things that, you, you know, when you're experiencing these things, they're exactly what was intended. Um, and, and that's what we're trying to get across. Um, and this kind of leads me into my next point, which is a topic that, uh, people don't like to talk about too much, but, I, you know, uh, you know me. I, I'm, I'm always down to talk about it because for me, it's it's something so beautiful. Which is, uh, uh, which is, marriage is for mutual and undefiled pleasure. Um, you know, if you got kids in the room, actually, you know what? It doesn't really matter. We're talking about sex. Just heads up. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think it's an important topic for married couples to talk about. Um, anyways, point being. Uh, marriage is meant to be pleasurable, believe it or not. It is meant to be pleasurable. Uh, and if you read uh, the Song of Solomon, for example, um, I mean, you if you've read it at all, I mean, this book of the Bible shows how in love Solomon and his wife were with each other and how much pleasure they took in each other's bodies. And it's it's pretty descriptive. I mean, Very descriptive. It, it says some things that I don't even know if I could tell you. <laughs> I, I mean, just, I mean, I could, but it's like, it's awkward. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's just a little weird, it, but it's also, I mean, it's also beautiful. It's I mean, beautiful though. It's exactly. awesome to see something like that in the Bible, especially yeah. when you're raised in Christian culture for sure. And having like sex kind of be something taboo to talk about, but it's like God talks about it and, and yeah, he built marriage for it. So, and that's like, so, and that's the thing for me is like, I used to look at it kind of like, man, like this is a little, this is a little weird. <laughs> like it's a little hard for me to read it and really, you know what I mean? But it's like, once we got married, the the beauty of Song of Solomon and the things I've known from it, I haven't really read it in depth since we've been married, but I, I kind of want to now that I think about it just because of how beautiful it is. It's like, I understand where he's coming from when he says those things. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and they're not as cringy <laughs> as I once thought. They're more, they're more beautiful, right? Um, but... But anyways, I digress. It's it's a it's a great book if you're married and you want to understand a deep love that someone in scripture has for for their spouse. I mean, it's it's it's, it's beautiful. Um, but Proverbs five eighteen to nineteen says, "Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a grateful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love." Hebrews 13, 4 says, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Marriage is, the thing is, is like, I mean, I've just said a couple of scriptures, right? That, that clearly defined not only like the enjoyment of this this ple- I mean, this pleasure that we get, right? But it's also really clear about, you know, how this should be. I mean, the marriage bed should be undefiled, right? Like, that's important to understand. It's like, one, always be intoxicated in the love of your wife, um, in the love of your spouse. 
but understand that this is such an important like the the marriage bed i mean a lot of pastors will talk about it right like don't defile it or you know it's it's so important and i and i'm trying to figure out a good way to like explain this in words but it's it's there's something about it that's one it's the covenant like we've kind of mentioned i mean the covenant of of marriage is so important but when you defile the marriage bed when you defile the marriage that this this covenant that you've made with with your spouse it's i mean there's consequences for that yeah it's really damaging it's damaging and, and not even just in a sin aspect like yeah there are like i promise you if you speak to anybody who has cheated in their marriage who has been through this ask them i mean christian or not christian ask them what happened like what truly happened not even on just like a divorce like not even just that which that's also obviously terrible um and in really unbiblical unbiblical to do but just ask them on a even on an emotional level on a spirit on a, a personal spiritual level even if they're not christian like what happened to them because it's, it's real it, it it's a deep um it's a deep connection that you have with someone and when you completely destroy that it destroys the person yeah it destroys yourself even if you feel like it's not going to even if you're even if you're not in love anymore, if you want to put it that way, um, which I think we could talk about in another episode because um, I want to d- digress too much. But um, yeah, one thing that uh, one of our leaders in, in this uh, group that we're in right now um, at our church uh, for marriage um, said that uh, love is not just a feeling. It's it's something that you work towards. Like yeah. we work to love and people want to think that it's it's, it's this feeling that you have like, like oh, I'm not feeling like I love them. And then they, and then they leave their spouse because they're like, oh, I'm not feeling it anymore. And if love was a feeling, then man, people fall out of love a lot. Then if that's what it was, yeah. because there are times in the 40, 50, 60, 80 years that you're married to somebody that you're probably not going to like them very much. I mean, this would be real. It's just how it is. Um, but, and so if love is a feeling, and if you're always to be in love and you f- and you start feeling like, man, I'm not really liking this person right now. Like they're kind of yeah. making me frustrated. Like that, if you think that that's falling out of love, then you've got a lot of issues to deal with, right? Um, love is something we work towards. It's something that we are actively doing. You actively have to pursue love, pursue your spouse, which I think is great for another episode. And we'll dive more into maybe in the future about that pursuit. Um, especially men um i think it's i think it's important pursue your wives wives pursue your husbands mm-hmm. make it a constant pursuit um but moving forward uh, marriage is also made to prevent sexual immorality um and this is super important and something that i know it, it, it's it's changed my life to even be able to look at this um but it says paul says um in first corinthians uh, chapter 7 verses 1 to 5 uh, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sex, to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body but the wife does do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time 
that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This is an amazing scripture. It could also, people in 2021 are going to look at the scripture and they're going to think, how dare you? How dare you, God, tell me that I have no right or that, or that I should give conjugal rights and that, you know, I don't have authority over my own body. And that's a big thing right now. And it's like, yeah, in our world, women and men, um, and I see it, I see it rise in the feminist movement a lot. Um, um, it's just, it's just an observation, right? I, mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's just women, but, um, this idea of, which I think, and I'm not trying to say that this is not true. You know, my body, my choice, these things. Um, first of all, as Christians, we know that our body is not our own anyway, or our life is not our own because our life is Christ, right? Yeah. Um, that's first of all. But even in the marriage, like it's very clear that your your body is not your own. Now, this isn't by any means saying, you know, if your spouse doesn't want to have sex, force them to have sex. Or, or you know, if your wife or your, your, you know, or vice versa, right? What it's saying, it, you know, one, it, it gives clear instruction that, you know, if you guys come to an agreement for a limited time, these, you know, you can set aside that, right? But the, the point of the scripture is, is not to, you know, trigger a bunch of people necessarily. It's to essentially say like, look, like sex is a part of marriage. Yeah, it simply is, and to and to be married, and to not participate in sex. One, I don't know how you do it. First of all, I, I think it's. I know there are situations out there that people do that, and I know there's a lot of hurt around sex, and and I understand that, and I think that's it's a, it's a wisdom issue between you and your and your spouse about how you handle that, but you should be handling it. You should be working through it. Sex is important. The you know how that works and, and, and what that looks like for you, it's different for everybody. I'm not going to tell you how to have sex. I mean, <laughs> I'm just, I, that's your own business. Yeah. I, I don't want to know about it. You do what you got to do. You know, you, you guys enjoy it together, but it's a part of the marriage. Um, and I think it's, I think it's wrong to look at marriage personally, just from what I can see and say, uh, and, and, and try to be married without having sex in there at all and i mean we know that sex um uh what's the word i'm looking for um consummation of marriage like that's an important act i know for us like i mean just to be real like that was an important time for, for me sure. in our marriage that that first night was meant a whole flip for me that that was what made the single to marriage difference for me yeah. And it's not even just about sex, right? It's, you know, there's something about... It's about the intimacy. The intimacy. And the connection exactly. that happens there. Like there's something about that that, that just completely changes everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't have that, I don't know how you can really have that kind of intimacy with someone. Like yeah. on a spiritual level, on the yeah. physical level, clearly. Um, and so I just take heed of what, what the scripture is saying here. Um and also understand that this is for your own good, which is the point of what the scripture is saying too. Is like, so Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Look, yeah. As a husband myself, 
as a husband myself, there is something profoundly different um, when you get married and you partake in this beautiful gift, like I said, of sex. Sex goes from something to be feared and to stay as far away from when you're single to something you embrace with one person you desire the most. A quick uh, encouragement for men, especially men. And I, I say this because I'm a man myself and I understand the struggle. I've been there. Um, just a quick encouragement. Your struggles with lust may not go away when you get married. Shocker. If no one's told you that, I'm sorry, but I need you to know it may not go away completely when you get married. But a big but here, being married does indeed help your fight against it. I mean, we see it here in scripture, but mm-hmm. but don't take this and get married just for sex. That's not what I'm saying. Like if 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 you're struggling with lust, if you're struggling with pornography, if you're struggling with even having sex before marriage, um, and, and you're having a really hard struggle with that, don't get married thinking that that struggle is going to be gone. But you can be assured that when you do get married, it's going to change a lot of things. Like you're still maybe going to struggle. I mean, by the grace of God, you don't, right? Like, you know, Lord willing, you don't, but you may still struggle. But having sex regularly with your wife, I mean, on a very practical level, it changes things and it makes it so much easier to abstain from uh, sexual immorality for one or lust in general, Um, you know, on any level, no matter what level it is. I mean, we know in scripture, Jesus really defines, I mean, even lusting after a woman um, is is adultery and already committing adultery in your heart, right? So just... Keep that in mind as, as men, women as well. I mean, it's it's not just exclusive to men. Just this can give you hope um, and just have hope that God designed marriage to, be, uh, to bring us pleasure and satisfaction and also to help you in your temptation um, against lust and uh, sexual immorality. Yeah, definitely. It's so true. God wants us to be free from sexual immorality and to truly experience pleasure. Um, And before I move on, I just wanted to back up quite a bit and just mention that if you are divorced, God has grace. God forgives. I say take heed to what we're talking about in your current marriage and make it a commitment to really be committed to that lifelong marriage that that you have. Um, Remember, it's a vow that you made. It's a it's a covenantal promise. It's something that should not be broken. And so, and also in that, if you're struggling with um, premarital sex and stuff, I strongly encourage you to stop if you can. Absolutely. And to um, pray and seek God to um, bring for- forgiveness there and to bring a change of heart and to um, also seek godly counsel and get around men or women um, who can help you navigate through that. But um, another thing I wanted to mention here is like I have heard so many women and men take these verses that we've just been talking about out of context and say that sex is specifically a woman's duty. And so like they take this verse um, that talks about how the wife is to give up her own body and the husband is supposed to give up his own body, but they forget that part and just focus on the woman's part and just say, Oh, the Bible says you're supposed to have sex with me. Um, 
And while it's true that you guys should share sex with each other, it is not a woman's duty. Mm-hmm. And like we mentioned, sex should be mutual. It should be used for the man to please his wife and the woman to please her husband. It should not be viewed as a chore by women specifically. If you just to, just to, just something real quick, like if you think it's a chore, like if you if it looks like a chore to you or it feels like a chore to you, um, I, I encourage you to to obviously, like you said, pray. Yeah. And and really search your heart to see where a problem lies. Because I, I genuinely think if you're in a marriage and if you're in a marriage that wants to focus on Christ, especially like, because these are who we're talking to. We're talking to Christians here. Correct. Right. Um, but if you're, if you're in a marriage and sex is a chore and you're just like, man, like sex is hard. Like it may not be fully your fault. Maybe there's some stuff that you got, you and your spouse, like your husband um, or men, if this is your struggle, like discuss this with your spouse but um continue i just wanted to kind of say yeah that. definitely um but yeah like i was saying it shouldn't be a chore but it really should be an opportunity to display your love towards each other it's a moment where you get to show one another how much you truly love them and if you're both really working to please the other you both should experience pleasure um, Austin and I read um, this book. It's called Intended for Pleasure before our wedding night. And um, just full disclosure, I mean, we both were virgins on our wedding night. And I think it was beautiful. It made it amazing. Um, but reading that book definitely impacted how we viewed sex and what it should be like. And it talks about um, just really how to please each other and ways to do that. It is, it is pretty graphic in some ways. And it was actually pretty awkward to read for me personally, especially I don't really like talking about sex. I mean, it's, it's not even like, like she doesn't even like talking about it now. And I mean, we've been married for a year and three months, so you know, do the math, but like it, it, when, when you're on your way, so here's the thing. And we're, I'm going to be real, real for a second. It's like, we're literally on our way to go, be somewhere nice to have sex. I mean, that's just what it is. So when you're doing that and then you're like, you're especially for us, like we traveled two hours to go to St. Augustine for our, yeah. for our wedding night. It was a beautiful experience, but we're sitting in a two hour drive or reading hour and a half book. drive reading this book about yeah, how to pleasure sooner, but about how to pleasure uh, your spouse. I mean, honestly, we probably should have read it by ourselves. Yeah, and, definitely. But it, it, the point, I mean, the book was really good, though. I mean, I will agree. And if you're not married yet, I suggest reading it by yourself. <laughs> if you are married, it is beneficial to read together. Also, if you're not married, um, I, would, I wouldn't I would even suggest reading it until you're engaged. Uh, and, and yeah. My reasoning engaged is... Engaged in like about to be married, like not, yeah. not a year-long engagement. Like when you're getting close to that wedding night. Because I don't want you to, I don't want you to read this book and, and think, you know what, like... I want to do this for my my partner. I want to do this for my my girlfriend. It's like no 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 no. You're missing the point. Yeah. This is strict. Like these are this is a strictly a book I would recommend to a um, to people who are engaged, preparing to be married, wanting to understand. Especially if you've never had sex. Honestly, even if you've had sex before, um, yeah. Like like I think it's still a super good book. I learned some stuff that I just didn't even realize, um, and it drastically changed how i how i viewed it and um and so if 
Yeah, we'll we'll leave the name of that book um, in the show notes. Um, yeah, for sure. I'll so leave a link. If, yeah, a link to it if you if you would like to buy that book. Um, but but yeah. Um, yeah, and again, and so if you're feeling like sex is a one sided thing, and you don't receive pleasure while having sex, please talk to each other about your wants and your needs, or it will never get better. Like communication is so important. Communication about everything is so important. And we'll probably talk a little bit more about the breakdown in communication in marriage and how that can really benefit you. But yeah, again, sex is supposed to be pleasurable. It is It is meant to be mutual. So it's not just a chore for a woman that she has to give up her body. No, it is meant for one to please the other. And so the last purpose, and in my opinion, the most important, is marriage serves as a representation of the spiritual relationship between Jesus and the church. Amen. And the church here, <laughs> yeah, and the church here means all God's people, not just the establishment that you attend to on a weekly basis. Um, and this kind of goes back to why def- God hates divorce, because if we're supposed to represent Jesus and the church in our marriage, you know, Jesus has an everlasting promise to the church. He has given his life to serve and to save and and it doesn't end. Like if if God saves you, you're not you can't lose your salvation. He's not taking it back. And so if we're supposed to oh, there's some fighting words over here. No, <laughs> yeah, some people might not agree with that, but that is true. And maybe we'll do a podcast or something about that to yeah, go in depth with that. But sorry to interrupt, continue. No, that's okay. But yeah, like I was saying, is if Jesus has this unbreakable promise, you know, that he saves you and he loves you unconditionally, and our marriage is supposed to represent that, it shouldn't be breakable if that makes sense and so ephesians 5 22 through 33 says wives submit to your own husbands as to the lord for the husband is the head of the wife even as christ is the head of the church his body and is himself its savior now as the church submits to christ so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands husbands love your wives as christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And before I move on, I just want to mention here, a lot of people want to stop at Ephesians 5.22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. While submission is something that wives should do, I believe that the man's call here is even stronger than that. He should love his wife as Christ loved the church. Christ died for the church. 
He gave up his life. And men, I mean, no joke. You need to be willing to die for your wife. Like that's a real thing. Like I mean, I, personally, as a husband, you should be willing to die for like the love and and the commitment you have to your spouse. You should be willing to die for them. And I think the the major thing here too is die to self. Like that's true. give up Absolutely. your own selfish desires to love your wife and husbands when you are doing that it should be like easy for wives to submit to your leadership and on the flip side of that there's other verses and um unfortunately i didn't include them here but i'll probably look them up and add them to the show notes but that talk about um how sometimes you know husbands really abuse this and they might not be doing this properly and wives that doesn't give you permission to not fulfill God's call in your life. I would say when those things are happening again, pray for your husbands, seek godly counsel and talk and communicate to your husbands. And if there are, and if there's issues that aren't being resolved, get more couples around you who can help you be accountable and walk you through this. Yeah. And I mean, in, in husbands, also, if your wives are not submitting, and, and we need to be clear here, submission in scripture here, what we're talking about is not to be compared to slavery. Definitely not. It's not yeah. to be compared to certain It's not to being, just bow down and say yes to everything type it's of deal. Not, yeah, it's not like, hey, listen to me. I'm your husband. I'm the head of the household. Listen to what I have to say and do as I say always. Like That's not what this is. No. Um, submitting uh, is, it's, it's way different than that. And submitting is like where you um, allow, one, you allow your husband to lead um, yeah. your family in the ways of the Lord. And as he directs and guides your family, you submit and, and, and join with him underneath that leadership. Just as um, the Father is the head of the Trinity, so as the Son and the Holy Spirit are not lesser yeah, than the definitely. Father. That's a good point. They're not lesser than the Father, but they are under the Father in that headship yeah. um, that that is you know in the, in the Trinity. And I think that's a great representation of yeah. men and women are not... Um, unequal in this way and husbands i need you to understand you do not approach your wife and say and, and, and come at them like you know you're not submitting like i need you to you know listen to me i need you whatever like don't don't do that look first of all you're not better than your wife by any means honestly in some ways you may be worse uh, but the the point is is like you're no better than them we're all sinners um and um Husbands, when you're when when there is in a biblical standpoint where you're a situation where your wife or you know situations where your wife is not submitting based on scripture, based on what you know it says in scripture, um, again seek counsel, seek brotherly counsel, people who you can trust, a pastor, someone that you can speak to that can help you walk through this. Because I don't want you approaching your spouse saying, you know. One, make, shooting yourself in the foot, making it a worse situation. Um, you need to approach this with um, with clarity. You need to approach this with uh, with a with a you know a sober mind, yeah, um, and sober heart on this, and with um, love and with grace, and with love and grace, knowing that you're she's not perfect, 
and you're not perfect um, and you never will be. And it's important that you work through these things, but you need to discuss it. One, I mean, if you're angry, man, just take, just go for a walk, do whatever makes you relax, take some time and come back, speak to your, your wife, uh, wives, speak to your husband, whatever. And wives, help your husbands lead, help them fill, help them kind of come into this role. I mean, yeah. it's not easy. I know as a husband coming from being a single man who took care of himself and that's it. Like it's not an easy transition. So wives help your husbands go through. I mean, I know with you, Alicia, I mean, you help me even when I've struggled. It's like, Hey, like, you know, I've just, I've noticed, like, I really would like you to lead us in this way. I've noticed that you haven't. So can you, you know, let me help you do that. Like, let me help you like bring you to that point. Right. Yeah. And I think that's important. Like wives, you hold your husband's accountable. Mm -hmm. Um, but for sure, I mean, and that's kind of all I wanted to say. I just want to say it's, it's the same way, both ways. Like you got to work it out together. So, yeah, definitely. Um, Christ really sacrificed his life for the church. He loved the people unconditionally. When he walked on earth, he served, he taught them, he led them to know the Father. And all the while, the people who really did follow him, you know, they submitted to his leadership, they followed his teaching, respecting and honor, honoring him. Many times the people who followed him also disobeyed and abandoned him, and yet he loved them anyway. And this is what we get to display in our marriages. When we are submitting to our husbands and our husbands are loving us and loving us so much that they are, you know, giving up their own selfish desires. When people see our marriages, they can rec they can see how God really loves the church. And um, Austin and I really take this seriously. And we discussed this before um, before we got married and how this would actually work in a relationship. Austin truly loves me unconditionally. He's patient with me. He listens to me. He walks with me when I'm down. And, you know, I listen to him and respect him and uplift him. I give him space to lead our family, like he was just saying, um, when there's areas that you know, I recognize that we have even previously discussed that this is how we want our family to to go. You know, I bring it up to him and I'm like, hey, you know, this is what you said you would do. Um, and I could just do it. You know, I could choose to take that role. But because this is how God wants us to represent his love and his relationship, I choose to bring it up to Austin's attention and choose and and really follow him in that way and vice versa when i'm not doing what i'm supposed to do austin brings it up to me and we and we move forward together in that and just a healthy marriage leads to the good of the couple and their children and society as a whole for the whole family unit is a building block of any society yeah i um i couldn't say it better myself um you said it very well. I wholeheartedly agree with you. Uh, being married is one of the most beautiful things God has given us in this world of suffering and sin. It just simply is. Yeah. Um, this does not mean we are free to make our own ways of going about it, right? Of going about this marriage. Yeah. Um, in order to get the fullness of what is intended in marriage, you must take heed of the scripture and continue to work towards what God has designed. You will not get it 
right always. I mean, you, you just simply won't, you won't be perfect. Because, um, but really, neither of us are going to be perfect. Neither one of us, Alicia and I, we never claim to be perfect. Uh, even to each other, we know we're not perfect. The, yeah. and the opposite is not, you know, uh, which allows us to put our full trust in, and faith in God to carry us through to the end. That is so true. Our only, sorry, that our only our faith and trust in God as our foundation can make our marriage last forever. If we relied on our own will and just, you know, oh yeah, we're going to do it. Like we would fail. Like, you know, there's going to be times like Austin said earlier, like you just don't like each other. Or you're upset with each other. And if we let that moment like dictate our true next steps, then you know, it, the marriage probably would end and you see it happen all the time. So you have to trust God as your foundation. You have to trust God as who ultimately fulfills you to make your marriage last. And I hope that um, as we talk through these things that you don't feel like that we're saying that if your marriage isn't perfect, then something's wrong with you. Or if you've experienced divorce, then you're the worst of sinners or anything like that. And that's not what we're saying at all. Like I said earlier, God forgives. God has grace. Take what you're learning now and apply it to your life now and um, try to move forward in that. And honestly, we pray that you would lean on God and trust him to guide you through your marriage. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about this episode, check out our show notes on our website, wearethedaros.com. And if you like what you heard, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at wearethedaros for updates and encouragement. Thanks again for listening to the Daros Podcast. Catch you in the next episode where we will discuss the roles in marriage.